Welcome to Ask a Wayfinder, an advice and mindfulness podcast for all those who are seeking, those who are stuck, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Dana Wheelis. I'm a life coach, meditation teacher, and artist living in Central Virginia. You may have noticed that there's been a bit of a hiatus between episodes, and that's because I've been working on a couple of art projects that have brought me a great deal of joy and purpose. If I've learned anything in my life, it's that visits from the creative muse are precious, and when she arrives, it's time to clear the calendar and pour her a cup of tea. And so I'd like to share with you the results of this little retreat I've taken into my studio. So first, I assembled a collection of 30 paintings I've made over the past three years into an oracle deck. So from deer to dragonfly, hummingbird to whale, this little deck is a great tool to deepen your meditation practice and connection with the natural world. I actually start every day with either an oracle deck or a tarot deck as a way to focus my thoughts and set my intentions for the day. So as I was finishing up with the Deerhawk Oracle deck, I was also inspired to collect some of my favorite paintings of weird birds. You see, I have this thing for what I call doofy birds, um, birds that are just so strange, so bizarre, that they're, they're not at all like ordinary birds. I love them dearly, every doofy one of them. And so I designed a poster and some note cards that are now available in my Zazzle shop. But I couldn't stop there. Last week, I began selling a little book I designed. I call it A Gallery of Delightfully Doofy Birds. In it, you'll find watercolor paintings of 10 different doofs from around the world, along with some facts about each one. If you're interested in learning more about the Deerhawk Oracle Deck or the Doofy Birds Project, just head over to my website, DeerhawkHealing.com, and look under Deerhawk Art Studio. That's deer as in the animal, hawk as in the bird, healing.com. So I don't usually take time at the top of the show to talk about my other projects, but thanks to today's letter writer, I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which we take up space or don't, as the case may be. My art is woven into my client work and my meditation practice, but sometimes I find myself rushing past it. Uh, because of some fear that talking about it might seem self-indulgent. But for today's show, I share it as a triumph. Those of you who listened to the last show on Surviving 2020 will know that I was really struggling there for a while. Trusting in my tools, sharing my truths, and asking for help led to one of the most creative months of my life. And I want the world to know that. Sometimes it gets worse, right before it gets much, much better. And every one of you out there is capable of weathering the storm and finding bluer skies on the other side. So with that said, let's turn to our letter for today. This one came in through the inbox at askawayfinder at gmail.com. Dear Wayfinder, I can't seem to help being overly deferential. I leave plans loose until I know what other people want to do. I let others take the lead. I apologize for myself constantly, and sometimes not even for a specific reason. 
Sometimes it's just by way of introduction, like, sorry to bother you, but... I know the answer is to stop apologizing, to get comfortable taking up space, but I'm so scared of leaning in too far to the other direction, to becoming self-centered and disregarding other people's needs. How do I strike the right balance of centering myself and staying connected to others? Signed, M from DC. Dear M from DC, when I first read your letter, I wondered if I could really answer it fully. Now, I know I can give you all sorts of life coach tips and tricks, but how could I really embody a response when I too am a serial over-apologizer? Here's an example. Not too long ago, a neighbor of mine was helping me make some repairs on my bicycle, and he told me to send any other questions I had to him over email. So I did, and boy did I have questions. I wrote them out and sent them as he requested. A couple of days later, we happened to see each other at the mailboxes, and he said, Oh, I got your email. And me being me, I filled the silence that followed with, Oh, I'm sorry. And to his credit, he paused and he looked at me and he said, um, what are you sorry for? And that's when I laughed and I said, you're right. I have no idea what I'm apologizing for. Kudos to him for kindly pointing out the absurdity of my neurotic tendency to apologize for anything, whether or not it's warranted. But to get back to your question, M from DC, you and I... We're not alone. There are lots of us out there sending out rapid-fire I'm-sorry's to friends, strangers, even inanimate objects. The reason why we do this is complicated, but here are my thoughts on how this becomes a pattern. In the last show, I talked about how our trauma reactions are more nuanced than just, say, fight or flight. Thanks to the work of Pete Walker and other trauma-informed therapists, we know that there are actually four Fs. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Serial apologizing falls under the category of fawn. When faced with overwhelm in relationship, our first impulse is to caretake the other and to self-negate. We don't do this because we are intentionally trying to manipulate the other person. It's not like a conscious sucking up behavior. This is a deeply wired response that usually comes from dealing with rigid and invasive authority figures. At some point very early on, we learned that survival and connection depended upon distancing ourselves from our own needs, desires, beliefs, or integrity. Let's say there's a little girl being raised by her grandparents. They love this girl very much, but due to their own experiences, they have a strict parenting style and tend to fixate on behavior in terms of right and wrong. So when this little girl starts to go through the process of individuation or coming into her own personality, her own ideas about what is right or wrong for her are going to chafe against her grandparents' beliefs. This part is completely normal. However, if this little girl is punished or shamed for being different from her caregivers, 
she will learn that there is something inherently wrong with her needs, her desires, herself. Her ultimate goal will then become to avoid punishment and disconnection. She stops checking in with herself when decisions are to be made, and she gets very good at reading other people to see what they are expecting from her. The energy of her life gets directed outward toward others instead of inward. And anytime she gets it wrong, let's say she misreads someone's cues and she starts to feel that terrifying awkwardness of being wrong, she associates it with the punishment and shame she experienced with her caregivers. Really, what's so terrible with being wrong? Nothing, actually. I mean, I think most of us want to treat others well, and we would prefer to make decisions that don't hurt those around us, but we're none of us perfect, and sometimes we get things wrong. That's human. But when we are taught from a young age that getting it wrong means disconnection and abandonment, we become obsessed with getting it right. We become hypervigilant about how we affect other people, And the apologies pour out whenever we fear we've gone astray. There was a time when apologizing profusely worked for us. We wouldn't do it if it hadn't. It's a learned behavior, and it's nothing to feel ashamed of or judge ourselves for. We do what we can until we know better. And then we do better. I say this lightly, but this has been a hard lesson for me, personally. One of my mother's mantras was, you should have known better. As if a child can fully absorb all the conflicting rules of the world and act appropriately in all situations. Of course, she said that because she honestly believed it. And she believed it because someone taught her that ugly lesson. I have a deep and personal compassion for the pain of that belief that she carried. So if any of you out there are judging yourselves or judging someone else in your life because this is feeling familiar, I want you to stop and remember this. In this moment, you are waking up to intergenerational trauma and you get to heal it. This is a gift even though it starts out feeling like a curse. Life is a grand experiment, and sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And sometimes you're going to get it right for you, but it will be perceived as wrong by someone else. Knowing yourself and acting from your own integrity will allow you to respond to being wrong with resilience and curiosity. And it will allow you to discern when your needs really do need to be considered in conflict. It is possible to be kind and loving and still choose yourself when you need to. On the other hand, acting from a place of adapting to others' expectations of your behavior, that's just reenacting the original wound and will likely continue to bring up overwhelming feelings of fear and anxiety in moments of conflict. And it will keep you in relationship with people who expect you to meet their needs exclusively. One of the things I've noticed 
is that women are more likely to be serial over-apologizers. Now, many of these women probably didn't come from strict homes with domineering caregivers. But here's the thing. Western culture is itself an invasive and punitive authority figure writ large, especially when it comes to women's lives. Even if you were raised in the most flexible, non-shaming homes possible, you still had to go to school or interact with a world that tells women what is expected of them in terms of dress, behavior, even identity. Many women learn to play small and put their worth in how others perceive them just by living in a world that expects that they conform. But that doesn't mean that this phenomenon is gender-specific. Lots of people struggle with this issue, especially men who were raised in homes with a caregiver who is either critical, volatile, or afraid of any displays of emotion. And that brings me to the heart of your question, M. Intellectually, you know that it's healthy for you to take up more space in your own life. But you fear that in doing so, you'll overcorrect and become someone who isn't attuned to the feelings of others. I really love how you phrased it. I'm quoting you here. How do I strike the right balance of centering myself and staying connected to others? This... This is the question of someone who is still desperately trying to get it right. Deep down, there is still the belief that getting it wrong will have devastating consequences. And that's trauma. Trauma tells us the world is black or white, right or wrong. Real life is lived in the shades of gray. You are going to get it wrong sometimes. In fact, In the beginning of this process, you will probably swing wildly between being self-focused and self-negating. It's going to take some trial and error because you're not used to checking in with yourself. And it's going to be damn hard to persevere through that awkward silence when you don't fill the space with an apology. But if you do persevere, I think you'll find that the people who truly love you will stay and respond with kindness. And even if you do mess up and later on you decide you want to readjust again, it's simply a matter of telling your friend or your partner, hey, I think I got it wrong. Then you offer a real apology, which comes from your heart instead of from your neuroses. And the other person will feel the new meaning behind your apology. Accept it, And the two of you will move on from there. Relationships are not about perfection. They are about repair. The true dance of connection requires both people to be in their own integrity and meet each other in truthful, loving, generous ways. When we can sit with the discomfort of getting it wrong sometimes, We can be accountable for our actions without spiraling into shame. And when you say, I'm sorry, less frequently, but you mean it when you say it, you will attract thriving relationships with people who love you for you. A long time ago, someone modeled for you 
one end of the insecurity spectrum. A rigid, thoughtless, arrogant person who trampled those around them and caused great harm. In order to avoid becoming that, you ran to the other end of the spectrum. The deferential, giving person who makes space for everyone but themselves in their own life. Health, happiness, and resilience lie in between these two extremes, M from D.C., I'm not worried that you'll become an abuser simply by stepping into your own power. The very fact that you're worried about it tells me it's not going to happen. But you do have to step into your power nonetheless. I think you'll find you'll be even more capable of supporting those around you when you do. There is light in all of us. And there is also shadow. And as long as we're in these mortal human bodies, there will always be a mix of both in us. The real question is whether we recognize our shadow and therefore work with it, or whether we hide it, turn our eyes from it, and consequently let it drive us forward like a black hole that unwittingly organizes our entire lives. Insecurity and the fear of stepping into our power comes from an unhealthy relationship to shadow. We have let it become too large in our imagination. We have decided there is too much wrong with us, so much, in fact, that we cannot trust ourselves to simply be. We create a monster out of it, when really, it's just a little child wearing a monster's mask. So for today, our meditation exercise is going to be a little different. We'll start by getting centered, but I want you to make sure you have paper and a pen or a pencil nearby. If you have colored pencils or markers, even better. You'll want to get creative with this. Grab something to use as a timer, too. So go ahead, get your materials together, find a comfortable seat where you won't be disturbed, and we'll begin. So let's start as we usually do with our breath. Just tuning in to the feeling of the air coming in through the nostrils, exhaling out through the mouth, feeling the chest rise, shoulders back. Feel your feet. Feel your seat. Sense into your orientation into the space around you, as if your awareness could expand outward slowly, all the way out to sense the walls enclosing you. I want us to start our exercise with shadow, because that is the thing you don't want to think about, but end up worrying about the most. So I want you to set a timer for three minutes. And during that three minutes, I want you to make a list of all the things you do not want to be. 
things you don't, don't, don't want to be. These can be adjectives like mean or thoughtless or self-centered. Or it can also include the names of people who come to mind. When we're focused so intently on what we do not want, the world has a way of showing us more and more people who represent the thing we hate the most. So set your timer and you can pause the recording and let's get acquainted with your shadow. I'll be waiting for you here when you're done. Hi again. Welcome back. I bet you're feeling pretty icky right now. This would be a great time to use those colored markers or pencils to write down the sensations you're feeling in your body. What does it feel like in your body to face your shadow and not run away? Do you feel it in your belly? In your back? Remember to breathe. If all of this gets overwhelming, then just pause and find three green things around you. Find them and name them out loud. Tree. Painting. Book. After that, try finding three red things. And if you're still feeling a little vertigo, try finding three blue things. All we're doing is just bringing your prefrontal cortex back online. It tends to shut down when we get flooded or overwhelmed. Okay, ready to do the next part? I want you to set your timer again for three minutes. And this time, you're going to make a list of the exact opposites of everything you put on the shadow list. This process might go a little more slowly because there is a neural superhighway in your brain toward the negative. But connecting positive ideas is going to create or strengthen newer neural pathways. So we're listing everything that is opposite what was in the shadow list. When you're ready, pause the recording once more and make your list. Now that you're done with that, I'm hoping that your curiosity is piqued. Sometimes it can be hard to find the opposite of these things. Like, what is the opposite of arrogant? Is it humility? But what exactly is humility? Check into your body again and see what sensations are coming up now. Draw it, write it, hum it, whatever feels most natural to you. Did any people come up in your list of positives? We're going to close with a short meditation, 
but I want to give you a homework assignment this week. Go out into the world looking for role models of the virtues or attributes that came up in your positives list. Turn that amazing pattern mapping brain of yours into a machine that helps you and attracts you to what you do want instead of what you don't want. Look for examples of people who say no with kindness and grace. Look for people who ask for what they want without apology or demand. Look for the people who have learned to be self-full, not selfish. And imagine that every day you are becoming one of them. So let's take a moment to sit back and process what we've done. Let's get in touch with your breath again, deepening the inhale, softening the belly. Release any tension that might have crept into your shoulders, neck, jaw, or forehead. Close your eyes. Tune into the experience of being you. What does it feel like to be you in this moment? Allow all sensations, all thoughts, without judgment. And if judgment creeps in, then don't judge the judgment. Just let it be another story. Say, this is me believing the story that I am doing it wrong. Or... <laughs> This is me believing the story that I do everything wrong, or whatever it is that your inner critic loves to throw at you. You can't always stop it, but you can get some space from it. Now I want you to imagine that you are sitting on a throne. Yes, a throne just for you. Everyone gets one, and now you get to be acquainted with yours. Decorate it as you would like. What color is it? What is it made of? How is it designed? Make it comfortable. It has to be something that is very specific to you. Cover it in beautiful cloth or let vines grow up the sides. That's all up to you. Create the throne that could only be yours. Once you have a clear sense of your throne, we're going to let the energy of your essence appear like a fire around this throne. Now, this is not the kind of fire that burns things up 
or harms people. Instead, it's energy made of you and your light, which means it isn't for everyone. Imagine that some people in your life come to visit you on your throne, and they love it. They love the warmth and the beauty of the fire that surrounds it. They love the colors. They love the patterns. It feeds their happiness, just as the energy of their essence feeds you. Others in your life may come by, but don't stay. Your fire and throne are not for them. Let them go. Focus only on the people who stay. Simply allow this to unfold in your mind's eye. Feel the sensations in your body as people appreciate the beauty that is uniquely yours. Try to memorize these sensations so that the next time you meet someone who resonates with them, you'll notice. And now it's time to come back to your room, to your life in this moment, but you never actually leave your throne. A part of you stays there, grounding that into your lived experience. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ask a Wayfinder. I'm Dana Wheelis, and you can learn more about me and my work at my website, DearHawkHealing.com. If you'd like to work with me one-on-one, you can schedule an appointment with me there, and I do offer 30-minute free sessions for new clients if you'd like to test the waters first. If you have a question you'd like answered on an upcoming episode of Ask a Wayfinder, send me an email at askawayfinder at gmail.com or leave a voice message at 434-288-0965. Ask a Wayfinder can be found on Instagram. And I also have a page for Deerhawk Healing on Facebook, where you can get up-to-date news on all my exploits from coaching, meditation, art projects, and podcast episodes. Ask a Wayfinder is supported by the Virginia Audio Collective, 
a podcast network hosted by University of Virginia's radio station, WTJU. As we move into the hot days of late summer, please be kind to yourselves, y'all. You deserve it.